every phrase in John 1, 1 through 18, every phrase is full of fireworks. I I don't know what is the most breathtaking, the most mind-blowing, the most astonishing thing that the Apostle John says here in this passage in front of us. Every phrase is full of fireworks. Every phrase of John 1, 1 through 18 is, is pregnant with precious, powerful, glorious truth. The deepest truth in the whole universe. Did you hear what Keegan just read to us? Did it make your mind explode? And no matter what I say today, I cannot do it justice. This is just too good to summarize. We could spend the rest of the summer and all of the fall just working through these 18 verses and never hit the bottom and never reach the top. It's just that rich and wonderful. And what a high and holy privilege it is to study it with you today. Last week, we started our new series at the end of the Gospel of John, where he told us his purpose in writing it. He said, talking directly to you and me, he he wrote these words, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. That's the whole point of this book. It's the whole point of our series, and it's the whole point of our church. And it's the whole point of this particular sermon. Life in Jesus' name. And we learned last week that his name is more than just that thing he's called. His name is who he is. His his name is his person, his substance, his character, his authority, his identity. His name is who he really is. And John picks up his pen to tell us who Jesus really is. He's going to write a book about Jesus, right? If you were to write a book about Jesus, where would you start? The beginning. A very good place to start, right? And he says, I'm going to tell them who Jesus really is, and I'm going to use a name for Jesus that was his name before his name was Jesus. Before he'd ever been called Jesus, he had this name. In fact, John doesn't introduce the name Jesus until verse 17. Instead, at the beginning of John's gospel, he goes back to the beginning of the world. And he names his subject, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, when you hear... In the beginning, what book of the Bible do you think of? Genesis, Genesis, right? Genesis 1-1. That's on purpose. John 1-1 is written to connect our minds to Genesis 1-1. And what does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God. What? Created. What? The heavens and the earth. And John says right there, At the beginning of creation, before there was anything but God, there was something or someone called the Word. The Greek word there for word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. It means word. It means communication. It means message. It means disclosure or explanation or expression. It comes from the Old Testament talking about the Word of God, that powerful, creative, 
revelatory message of God, the speech of God, telling uh, God telling us about himself. Now, the Greeks loved that word logos too. Plato and those guys used the word logos to convey the philosophical idea of logic and reason, the principle of reason, rationally holding the world together. We get our word logic from logos. In fact, we get a lot of words from logos, including all the ologies like theology. And John uses this word, logos, word, as a name for a person. And John says that this word was in existence at the beginning. Stay with me and look at the next phrase. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Isn't that amazing? In the beginning, there was God. Genesis 1-1 taught us that. And there was this thing, this person named the Word who was with God. At the beginning. Now that word with is just full of fireworks all by itself. It means that there's some kind of a distinction going on there with God. Word and God. And at the same time, a close relationship because it's with. The Word and God were with each other. That means interpersonal, doesn't it? If I say I'm, I'm with Heather, we're together, right? We're not apart, we're, we're together, we're, we're close, we're with. Both, it says, are existing before creation. Both are eternal and both together, withness. They had withness, not witness, withness, okay? Just to make up a new word, okay? Withness, you with me? You with, with me? You with me? Now, here's something that's even more amazing. Now, family, it just gets more and more amazing. The more you read down this passage, the more amazing it gets, okay? Hold on to your brain, because it might, it might bust out of your head, okay? Last phrase of verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now we know that the Word was God. Everything that it means to be God, what do we mean when we say God? We mean that ultimate being that made everything, that's over the universe, the, the person we've been worshiping this morning, the creator, the sustainer, the, the ultimate being. Everything that it means to be God, this Word had and has. The Word is fully God. And at the same time, the Word was with God. Anybody confused yet? Are they the same thing or are they different? Answer, they're the same one thing and yet also in another way distinct. They have a relationship that is unlike any other thing in the whole world. Sometimes we want an analogy to help us understand something. That's good. There are no analogies to help us to understand this 
reality about God. We just accept it as the mind-blowing truth it is as we read about it. Now, it's not irrational. It's supra-rational. Okay? It's above what we can totally comprehend. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. John's like, in case you missed what I said earlier, I'm saying it again. Fully God, and at the same time with God. Now, why do you think John emphasizes this name for this incredible person? I think it's because of this incredible truth. God wants us to know him. I can imagine a God who doesn't, a secret God, who doesn't care whether we know him or not, but this God, the real God, wants us to know him. And so he speaks, and he tells us something about himself. He gives us a message. Now, he's been doing that all the way through the Old Testament. He's been speaking, right? But now, he's going to speak like he's never spoken before. This message, this communication is so him that it is him. (laughs) When God reveals himself, he does it through himself. It's a personal message, so it must come through a person. God shares himself through his word. Does that make sense? You with me? I know it's a profound idea, and it's hard to put into words. But John says it all in very small words, doesn't he? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Fully God. The word is the creator. Look at verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Notice that he himself is unmade. The word is unmade. Uncreated. Like we just sang, God the uncreated one. That's the word. Nobody ever made the word. But everything that has been made, and That's a lot. Everything in creation was made through the Word. John says it backwards so that we get the point, right? He walks it back. He says, without Him, nothing was made that has been made, just so we get the point. The earth, the sea, the sky, the planets, outer space, the molecule, the elements, the the atom, The electron, the neutron, inner space, they were made through the Word. You and I, we're we're creations, we're we're created. We were made through the Word. Say that to yourself. I was made through the Word. Say that to yourself. This is Genesis 1 language, isn't it? And God said, let there be light. What does verse 4 say? In Him, the Word, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, right there in verse 5, we learn about a cosmic conflict that's been going on for a very long time. John is telling us a story. In fact, he's telling us the story, the story of stories. And like all good stories, there is a conflict in the middle of it. 
This is the mega conflict between light and darkness, between good and evil, between truth and lies. John says, in the Word was life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life, abundant life, like we talked about last week. And he says, that life was the light of men, the glorious light that all humankind so desperately needs. And that light is shining in this Word. It's a Word that shines. Isn't that quite a thought? It's a Word that shines. But, here's the conflict, the darkness, also personified here, has not understood it. Or your version might say, has not overcome it. The darkness has not comprehended the glorious light of the Word, and those embracing the darkness have rejected the light. But in the end, they have not won. They have not overpowered it. The light ultimately wins. And what good news is that? Now in verse 6, John introduces a new character. He's telling the story of the story he's going to tell us. If, if the prologue of John was in a movie, it would be at the very beginning where the announcer kind of gives a little mo- uh, monologue about the story you're about to watch. Right? The story you're watching is not just a story, it's true fact or something like that. Okay? That's John kind of telling us the story of the story he's telling us. And here he introduces a new character, a guy named John. Next week, we'll see that John starts his story with John the Baptist. He's like Mark in that and not like Matthew or Luke. They start with Mary and Joseph and the genealogies and so forth. But Mark and John, when they get going, they start the story with John the Baptist. Verse 6, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, this is John the Baptist here. Whenever John the Evangelist, who's writing the gospel, actually says the name John, he's not talking about himself, he's talking about the Baptist. John the Baptist, verse 7, came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. There's that key word we're going to see over and over again, 98 times in the gospel of John. Believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So you get the picture? Do you see the story that we're about to read? The Word, okay, this is mind-blowing. Everything we've learned about the Word, we're going to find out the Word is going to come into the world. Okay, The Word was coming into the world. God's communication of himself that is himself a person and is himself with God and is himself God is coming into the world. He's on the way. He's arriving. And John the Baptist is sent to tell people about him. John is a witness. He has expert testimony to offer. Verse 8 is very clear that John was not the light himself. We don't want any confusion on that point. John was great. He was a prophet, last of the old kind of prophets. He has great things to say and to do, but John was not the point. His point was to point to the light. Hmm. That's a word for us today, isn't it? Our job is not to point people to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus. When we are good witnesses, we are not saying how great we are or even how far we've come or how smart we are to have chosen to be Christians, but how great Jesus is. And what a wonderful privilege it is for us to point people to Him. That's the whole point of the Good News Cruise, right? Come Saturday. We don't want people to think, 
how great are those folks over there in Lance? We want them to think, how great must their Savior be for them to want to give us this day? I kept saying that to Heather yesterday, talking about this sermon. If people walk away from any of my sermons and say, what a great preacher Matt is, I will have failed. Because what I want to do is for you to walk away and say, how wonderful Jesus is. How wonderful is the Word. Notice what John says is, this, is the relationship between the Word and the world. In verse 9, he said the Word was coming into the world. More on that in a second. But in verse 10, he says that when the Word arrived, the world did not like it. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, didn't know him, didn't want to know him. Who's that guy? Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The word showed up, and the world rejected him. He was their Messiah. He was the Christ. He was everything God had promised in the, in the Old Testament. And Israel said, thanks, but no thanks. He made them. He made the whole world. And the world said, we don't want you. We're going to see this conflict, this resistance again and again and again as we read the Gospel of John. John is telling us the story of the story he's going to tell us. And it's a sad one. They even go so far as to kill him. But the darkness does not ultimately win. The Word came back to life. And then he gives life to all who will believe. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Isn't that wonderful? There are people who did not and do not continue to reject the word, but receive the word instead. The ones who say, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'll take that communication. I'll listen to that message. I'll take that message into myself. I'll believe. They believe in his name. They believe everything about him that we're going to learn about him in the next several months. And what does belief lead to? What did we say last week? Faith leads to I'm going to say it enough times that we'll all get it. Faith leads to life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that by believing you may have life in His name. Life. To those who embrace the Word, who listen to the Word, who welcome the Word into their hearts and lives, to those who believe in His name, He gave the new and powerful status of child of God. And that is what we are. Right, Joel? Back in June, Joel preached the message, the children of God, from 1 John. John can't get over, even in his old age, that we're the children of God. He says, and that is what we are. That is what you are. 
Say that to yourself. Not just, I was made through the Word, but if you believe, I'm a child of God. Say that to your heart right now. <laughs> That's living. That's life. It means eternal life. Not just physical life. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's supernatural life. Not just sperm and egg. Not just blood and DNA. But a new heart. A new birth. A new status. Adopted into God's own family. Where, where we can say, God is my Father. Or we can pray to God as our Father. And we can know that we'll spend all eternity with Him because we are in His forever family. The Word gave us the right to become children of God. And here's how we did it. But how did the Word give us the right to become children of God? Well, let me tell you, it's only going to get more astonishing. It's only going to get more mind-blowing. The Word was in the beginning. The Word created everything that has been made. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word did the unthinkable. And you've sung it already this morning, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why we've been singing Christmas songs this morning, right? Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. It takes poetry to even come close to capturing what this verse says that God has done. The Word is not only fully God, but He has also become, in the incarnation, fully human. Now, John doesn't give us Mary and Joseph or the shepherds or the wise men. But he goes even further back to before the beginning and then gives us the whole point of Christmas in one verse. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Everything that it means to be a human, the Word took on. He assumed. He took a human nature to Himself. Flesh, bones, Soul, will, mind, human, fully human in every way. We're going to see that over and over again as we read the Gospel of John. There's no question by the end, this person is human. We call this the hypostatic union. We just said it in our EFCA statement of faith. The Word was fully God and fully man in one person. The Word became flesh and lived among us. The Greek word for made his dwelling among us derives from the word for tent or tabernacle. Just like God set up his home in the tabernacle at the middle of the people of Israel in the book of Exodus and Numbers, God has now made his home among us through this God-man. The word become flesh, coming to live here with us. 
And John says that just as they saw God's glory enter that tent in the Old Testament, the apostles see God's glory in this person. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Every phrase is full of fireworks. The Greek word translated one and only there is monogenes. Monogenes. The old way of translating it is only begotten. Some of you memorize this as only begotten. That's the same word, monogenes, that shows up in John 3.16 to describe how unique the Son of God is. You see, we're children of God, which is, but not like this one is a child of God. He's in a class of his own. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He's one of a kind. He's one of a genus, right? Monogenes. There's no one else like the word He comes from the Father in a unique way. He has a unique fromness. There's a new word for you. We have withness. Now we have fromness. Not just a unique withness he has, but a unique fromness. He is the one who can be eternally with God and eternally from God and eternally be God and became one of us. Now, if that doesn't lead you to worship, there's something wrong. He didn't just seem like one of us. He became one of us, 100%. Have you ever said, I just think God doesn't understand? He doesn't get it. He gets it because he became one of us. He was fully human. He became so much like us that he could die like us. A human death. And die he did. This is who John is going to point to later on in this chapter. Verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, I love it when Keegan got to this part and he yelled. I love that. This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Yes. We'll get to that next week, Lord willing. John the Baptist points at Jesus, starting his public ministry after John had started his but has always existed as the word before John, so he surpasses John. And he surpasses Moses, verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And there he names him. There it is. The name for the word, after he became flesh, is Jesus Christ. That's interesting. John never calls him the Word again in the Gospel of John. From here on, it's Jesus and all the other things we're going to learn about him. All of those things add up to what God was communicating in the Word. Notice that Jesus is described as full of grace. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. I love that. He's like an endless fountain of grace. He's like a bottomless ocean of grace. You know, like the all-you-can-eat salad bar, right? The all-you-can-eat buffet. You can go back over and over again, and there's more. You can go back over and over again to Jesus, and there's there's never a point where Jesus is like, okay, I'm done. You've taken all of me. I'm finding that I am more limited than ever. Like I wrote this sermon yesterday, and I went home, and then I was like, okay, I'm fried. I need to sleep. 
before I can do anything worthwhile again. Jesus isn't like me. Not like that. Jesus is an endless supply of grace. You come to him today, and he's got it all, all you need. You come to tomorrow, and he's got it all, all you need. Grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, life after life. Blessing superseding blessing. Because John says that the law was a blessing here. It came through Moses, but something even greater than the law is here now. Grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. Salvation in his name. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what he did for us on the cross and at the empty tomb. Grace. And our role is simply to believe. We just come to him. And then we can know God. Every phrase is full of fireworks. I don't know what is the most astonishing claim in these 18 verses, but perhaps it is the notion that you and I can know God through Jesus Christ. Look where John ends up with his prologue. Last verse, verse 18. And if you thought it couldn't, it still does. It gets even more amazing. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Nobody's ever seen God. So all those times when God showed up in some extraordinary way in the Old Testament to Moses, to Isaiah, to Ezekiel, those were just partial. They were just shadows. They were just a glimpse of the the trail of his glory. They were just like seeing him but not seeing him. Nobody has ever seen God except God. And John says, but God the monogenes, same word, the one and only, the only begotten, the unique son who's at the father's side, in other words, he's with God, has made him known. Notice that there are two persons who are called God in verse 18, just like in verse 1. God the monogenes, God who is at the father's side, God the father who's never been seen, the one who's being made known, But there are not two gods, just one. See, these are the building blocks of our doctrine of the Trinity. One God in, here we have two, we'll find out later there are three, persons. And the one person, the Word, the Son, has taken on flesh and made the Father known. That's why he's called the Word. Because he is the message of God come in the flesh so that we can know God himself. Isn't that amazing? I know many of you have heard this all your life and you know this down pat. But I hope that you've been able to hear some of the fireworks again. And for those of you to whom this is new, isn't it amazing? This is what we believe. This is what we gather here on Sundays to sing about. This is what we encourage each other to to live off of all the rest of the week. So what do we do with this? What is the application of John 1, 1 through 18? Let me suggest three things as we close. Number one, believe and receive. To all who believed, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you don't receive him, You're not a child of God. 
You're part, in fact, of the darkness. You aren't recognizing him. You're lost. But he invites you to receive him, to believe on his name, and to get the life that is truly life. Don't let this hour go by without receiving Jesus Christ, the Word of God, as your own Savior and King. He's come to make the Father known so you can know the Father. In fact, you can know God as your own Father. You can be His child. Believe and receive. Number two, share and proclaim. If Jesus is what we just said he is, if Jesus is what John says he is, then we got to tell people. This is everything. This is what we're trying to share and proclaim with the folks who are going to come onto our campus on Saturday. We're not going to tell them how great we are or how great our country is or how great our vehicles are. Our message is that God has a message and his message is himself. His message has always been and has always been with him and has always been him. And his message, which was his own fabulously unique son, has become a human. God's message has become a human and dwelt among us. And now his message has made him known. That's what we have to share on Saturday and every other day. And that's why we need to worship with all of our hearts, wonder, and rejoice. When the fireworks go off, what do we do? We go, ooh, right? Oh, did you see that one? Boom, wow. Our hearts thrill. When the fireworks go off in this passage, we marvel, we wonder, we're astonished, we shake our heads, we ponder it. We turn these things over and over again in our minds, asking if they could really be real. We go deeper, we read the rest to see where John's going with all this. And when we see how wonderful they are, we rejoice. We have received blessing after blessing. We've been created. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted. We've been given new birth. We've been given personal knowledge of God. We've been given grace and truth. We've been given light. We've been given life. All because in the beginning was the Word.